Have you noticed that most things in life require constant attention if they are going to be maintained? Have you noticed this? Let me give you a few examples of this, of this truth. Weight loss requires constant attention to be maintained. Have any of you adults noticed this? Yes, you have. I know this firsthand. Uh, three years ago, I was at the lowest weight of my adult life through great effort. Today, I'm at the highest weight of my adult life through no effort. <laughs> and uh, my doctor recently said some very mean things to me that made me feel bad about myself and almost made me cry. Actually, just made me mad at her, but uh, anyway... <laughs> Uh, I thought I had mastered weight control, and so I let down my defenses. Uh, I failed to continue the diligence that had brought success, and I found out that I had not mastered anything. Absent constant vigilance, I lost everything I had gained, or more accurately in this case, gained everything uh, that I had lost. And, And this is all through life. Advances that we make, progress we make, uh, it, it has to be guarded, it has to be maintained. We have to continue the diligence that got us to that place or, or we lose it. You've probably noticed this with the landscaping around your house. Has anybody ever been able to successfully landscape one time and then never have to give any more attention to your landscaping? You just always have to be after it, don't you? You always have to be, uh, you know, looking after it. At least if you, you know, aren't going with the natural landscaping uh, look. And then I guess you can do, do what you want. Everything in life requires attention if you want to maintain the good things that you accomplish. You've noticed that healthy marriages require constant attention. You can never reach the point where you say, hey, we're good. We don't have to put any more effort into this ever again. We have arrived. Some of you have tried that method, and you know that it does not work. You have to put effort uh, into the marriage. You never reach a point at your job where you can just sit back and relax. You always have to be moving forward. You always have to be giving your very best effort. You can never reach a place if you want to attain success, if you want to attain and keep the approval of your boss where you say, well, I've done what I've needed to do, and now I can just sit back and relax. If you run a business, you can never assume that you have now mastered running a business and just sort of take it easy. As soon as you do that, all of the gains that you had, uh, had realized in your business will soon be lost. Your long-term customers will start to abandon you. You'll fail to get any new customers. And suddenly, you are going to realize, I thought I was running a really successful business, but something has gone wrong, and now my business is in a bad shape. And it will be simply because you failed to continue to give the same diligence that you did to achieve your original success. Laundry, of course, requires constant effort. 
Is laundry like the most frustrating thing in the world? It is impossible to be done with it. It's impossible. You, you, you work hard, you get all the laundry done, and you turn around. Oh, no, there's more laundry. It just never stops. And so unless you want to just concede and allow your laundry room or various rooms of your house to just fill with dirty clothes, you have to be vigilant. And some of you are falling under conviction right now because your house is filled with dirty clothes. I think there's a scripture somewhere in the Bible about that, um, but, I, but I'm not sure where, where it is. There should be a scripture about that in my, in my opinion. But you can never with laundry say, well, I've conquered that mountain and there's nothing left to do. It's the same with grass mowing. It's the same with car washing. It is the same with house cleaning. (laughs) Everything requires constant diligence. When we finally gain ground in these areas, we only maintain the ground that we have gained if we are constantly diligent. Progress in any and every area of life is maintained this way through attentiveness, diligence, consistent effort. We never arrive at a place where we no longer have to put forth any effort, where we no longer have to be attentive, where we can just relax and all of our gains will be maintained. It just does not happen. And friends, we may want it to be different, but this is also true of our spiritual lives. It's especially true of our spiritual lives. Whatever spiritual growth, whatever spiritual progress you've seen in your life over the last week, the last month, the last year, whatever period of time, if you want to maintain it, you have to be diligent at guarding it. You've got to be attentive. You've got to give consistent effort because it can very easily be lost. As we shift from 1 John to 2 John today, and by the way, we'll only uh, be there today. It's only 13 verses long. Uh, But we're going to find in the verses of 2 John encouragement toward diligently guarding our spiritual progress. So that's what I've titled today's message. And then we're going to find some pointers on ways that we can go about guarding our spiritual progress, some counsel on how to guard that progress. So let's look at 2 John. Again, it's only 13 verses. I'll read and you follow along as I do. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out 
that you do not lose what you have worked for. Some translations say what we have worked for. But that you may be fully uh, rewarded or rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Anyone who continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your chosen sister send their greetings. Now, there is some disagreement among scholars over who John is writing to here. Uh, Some believe that he is writing to an actual lady, a a, a female lady, uh, since the letter is addressed to the chosen lady and her children. Uh, Others say that this is just a phrase that means uh, a sister church, another church in Asia minor, and that is who the chosen lady is. So the bride of Christ, not a... Uh, not an actual female. And uh, those folks note that John would have been unlikely to say directly to a woman, uh, I ask that we love one another, even in the context of, uh, of Christian love. And then they also note that uh, verse 13's reference to the children of your chosen sister suggests uh, another congregation. So I'm more persuaded that he's writing to a church. I'm not sure that it really matters much for the things that we're going to glean from the passage today. But in case that phrase, a chosen lady, uh, caught your attention, uh, that's uh, basically what the uh, scholars have to say about it. There is very little in Second John that isn't more fully treated in First John. The admonition to love one another is reiterated in this letter, but it was more fully treated in 1 John. The definition of love that John gave us in his first book, his first letter, is here again in the second letter. It's in verse 6. And this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So as we found out in 1 John, love is not a feeling. It isn't warm thoughts and good intentions. It is obedience to the commands of God. We live in a time, it seems to me, when many people, even professing Christians, believe that we can ignore virtually everything that God commands us to do, how he tells us to live our lives and still love him because we feel some emotional or sentimental feeling toward God. But the Bible is quite clear that love for God is evidenced by obedience to God. And so we need, to, we need to hear this message again. Likewise, we want to believe that we love people because we have warm feelings toward people, good intentions toward people. But First John made it clear that real love is expressed in more than that. It requires concrete action on our part. So the themes of loving one another, this uh, emphasis of what the definition of love really is, are repeated here in Second John, as is another theme that was pretty prevalent in First John, which is that we need to be on guard against false teachers. We're going to talk about that one more here in a few minutes. Uh, but John says here what he said in his first letter, that many deceivers have gone out into 
uh, the world. So all of these things are more fully stated in 1 John, reiterated here in 2 John, which has led Earl Palmer to tell us that the greatest contribution of 2 John is that it demonstrates how deeply John felt about these topics and how vitally important they were to the people he was writing to, and by extension, how vitally important they are to us today. Everything in Scripture is God-inspired, and we are bound to receive everything in the Scripture, even if it's stated only one time. By the way, I want to stress that, because there's a lot of teaching in the church today that says if something's just mentioned once or twice in the Bible, you can sort of discard it. It's not true. We are bound by everything in Scripture to give it a fair hearing, to apply it to our lives, even if it's only stated once. That being said, repetition is something that I do believe the Bible uses to really draw attention to certain things, to let us know that here is something that really needs some extra consideration. It's all important. We, we, we need to receive it all. But repetition does suggest to us, okay, really pay attention to these things. And so the repetition here should alert us to how deeply John felt these things and how important they were for the people he was writing to and how important they are for us. Loving one another, understanding what love really is, and being alert to false teachers. These are all vitally important messages for people living in 2014. But as I prayerfully considered what to highlight from this book that wouldn't entirely be a restatement from what we've covered in 1 John, I was led primarily to two verses, verse 4 and verse 8. Here's what verse 4 says. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. In verse 8, watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. John is overjoyed that some of the lady's children, again, could be a family unit, could be a, a church community. I believe it's a church community. But he's overjoyed that they are walking in the truth. And here's the context for this. This church had uh, very likely been infiltrated by false teachers. They had come and they had shared their false teachings and some had been led away from the truth, but others had continued to walk in the truth. And John is full of joy over those who were able to resist the deception that the false teachers had brought into their midst and remain committed to the truth. And this is a wonderful thing. When Christians are confronted with false teaching, they identify it and they resist it. A few years ago in this church, some of the ladies in our church started getting invited to a Bible study that was not a part of our church, which in and of itself is not a problem. Some of you are still involved in uh, Bible studies like that. But this particular Bible study, there was quite a bit of teaching that in many cases walked right up to the edge of being wrong. And in some cases, I believe it actually crossed the line and went into being wrong. And one of the most satisfying moments that I've ever had as a pastor is when a number of these ladies from our church who had started attending this group without me ever saying one word to them about it. I knew of it. I had concern about it, but I never said one word. And they came to me and they said, you know, I'm getting uncomfortable with the things that I've been hearing 
And so I've decided to stop attending uh, this Bible study. It is truly cause for joy when people who are trying to be influenced, like some external forces trying to influence them in a wrong direction, recognize it, resist it, and continue walking in truth. John is aware of people like that in this church, and he is overjoyed by what he's seen in their life, and and I can relate to that. Verse 8 is where I want to focus today because it gives us insight on this very important topic of guarding our spiritual progress. As I stated, spiritual progress, like any other area of life, has to be guarded if it is to be maintained. Like the person who loses weight and becomes convinced that they'll keep it off without any continued effort. The person who makes spiritual progress and then believes that they can maintain that progress without continued effort, that person is simply fooling themselves. And when we allow ourselves to be fooled in this way, our progress can quickly be compromised. And before we know it, we have yielded back to the enemy ground that God had empowered us to claim for him. So let's find out uh, from this uh, verse how to guard our spiritual progress. The first point's rather obvious and one I've referenced many times here. It's even contained in the title of the message. Verse 8, watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for. First of all, this verse acknowledges that we can lose what we have worked for. So, so if you have convinced yourself that spiritually you can just rest... That spiritually you can maintain the place you are now on cruise control. This verse wakes us up and says, no, that's not true. You can lose what you have gained. And this is the first counsel on how to avoid losing ground. Watch out. Be on guard. Be vigilant. Be alert. Be attentive. Don't assume too much. Understand that spiritual progress must be guarded. It must be diligently guarded. And here's why. Because threats to spiritual progress are all around us. They're everywhere. You have to watch out. You have to be on guard because there are attacks coming from all directions. Threats to spiritual progress can come from boyfriends and girlfriends. The teens are having their own class today, but uh, should have made them turn the TV on in there for that, that point. Threats to spiritual progress come from boyfriends and girlfriends. Some of you adults may have boyfriends and girlfriends too. And you need to be aware of threats to your spiritual progress can come from uh, those folks. Threats to spiritual progress can come from entertainment. From binge-watching TV shows. And I have myself in the crosshairs of that, uh, of that statement. Netflix is a wonderful thing. It can be a bad thing, too. Threats to spiritual progress come from busyness, packing our schedules so full that there is no time for God. Threats to spiritual progress come from entertaining gossip. 
I bet if we could all just like see a video of our lives and look back at different points in our uh, spiritual lives, we would probably see multiple places where we were doing really well spiritually and then we entertained some form of gossip that derailed us, caused our attitude either toward God or our fellow Christians to sour and our spiritual progress was stopped, perhaps it even slid backwards. Threats to spiritual progress come from all directions. So we have to be alert, we have to be attentive, we have to diligently guard the progress. Here's, here's what I think we need to be like. Have you ever walked down a dark alley late at night? You should avoid having to do that, but every once in a while, you know, in your whole life, you may have had a situation where where you had to park somewhere and to get back to your car, you had to walk down a dark alley. How many of you have ever had to walk down a, a dark alley or something similar to get to a car? Okay. Were your senses heightened while you were doing that? And why were your senses heightened? Because you sensed danger. You, you knew this was a setup for something bad to happen to you. And so your senses were heightened. You were really on alert. And we need to be like that when it comes to our spiritual progress. We, shouldn't be, we don't need to be paranoid, but we do need to be aware that there are threats to our spiritual health all around. And we should allow our spiritual senses to be heightened by that fact. So if you want to maintain the spiritual progress that you have, you've got to guard it. You've got to guard it tenaciously. You've got to be like I am, and I bet many of you men are with your billfolds. How many times do you check to make sure your billfold is where it's supposed to be? In fact, I've heard that it might be counterproductive because I've heard thieves watch to see men tapping their billfolds to find out which pocket they have it in. I don't know if that's true or not. But I'm constantly checking. Is my billfold still there? By the way, we have someone in our church. Uh, I, th- I think it was Jason Kepi who told me this story that he was somewhere in a public space and and uh, I think he had his billfold in a in a jacket pocket, if I remember the story correctly. And something just told him, okay, it's it's that moment where I need to check and make sure my billfold's still there. He reached his hand and there was a hand in his pocket. <laughs> At that exact moment, someone was trying to pickpocket him. And uh, so that was a interesting story. I don't know the rest of it. I don't know what happened from there, but uh, it was probably interesting, whatever it was. But you need to be like I am with my billfold. Constantly check it. You need to be like some of you are with your garden. Constantly caring for it. Constantly making sure that, that, that it's going well. You know, you need to be like the person who says, oh, there is a single weed in my garden and this cannot stand. That weed must go. Which is not the approach we have at the birdhouse. <laughs> Hence, no garden. At least no, no yield from the garden. <laughs> you need to be like that. You need to be like the person who diligently waters their flower bed every day because they know if they, don't, if they don't do it on a consistent basis, then what they've worked so hard for is going to die. You need to be like some of you men are with your cars, just always washing them, always shining them. Do people still wax their cars? Does anybody still wax your car? I haven't waxed a car in probably 20 years. I see a couple of you. Yeah. 
you know, some of you just meticulously maintain the recommended uh, maintenance schedule of your vehicle. When I see change oil every 3,000 miles, I, I interpret it as change oil every 9,000 miles. <laughs> but some of you aren't like that. You actually, you actually do it. And this is the type of uh, uh, attentiveness that we need to give our spiritual progress. We've got to diligently guard it. It's more valuable than any of those other things that we are diligent about. And so we've got to guard it. Here's another thing we find about guarding spiritual progress. Verse 8 again, watch out that you do not lose what you have, but that you may be rewarded fully. We can be motivated towards spiritual diligence when we have a desire to receive our full reward from the Lord. When we're not willing to just settle for, hey, I get to go to heaven. But we want all that God has for us. For years I rejected what I'm about to say to you, but I've finally conceded it because it seems to me that it is quite clear in the Bible. When Christ returns, those who have lived according to his commands, those who have continued to walk in the truth, those who have continued to guard their spiritual lives and been faithful... They are going to be rewarded for that faithfulness. They're going to be rewarded. Heaven will include rewards. Do you like that thought? (laughs) We're not sure if we like that thought. Let's just all... Have equal rewards. Let's get a participation trophy in heaven. You all did well. Everybody's a champion. That's, that's what I wanted heaven to be. I, I'm, not, I'm no longer convinced scripturally that that's accurate. Now, we can't say a whole lot more than that Scripture does uh, say there are going to be rewards. I mean, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, how it's going to work. I don't think you're going to be called on stage and given a little golden statue and give a speech and then be shooed off the stage with music. I don't think that kind of thing is going to happen. But I do believe there are going to be rewards. And John encourages people that he's writing to to desire their full reward, to, to want to be rewarded fully. He he encourages them in this direction. Listen, when we fail to guard our spiritual progress, when we fail in obedience to God, we don't lose our salvation with every shortcoming. Thank God for that. But I do believe we jeopardize the rewards that can be ours in heaven. 1 Corinthians 3 teaches us that people can build one of two ways on the foundation of Christ. They can build well or they can build poorly. They can use valuable things like gold, silver, and costly stones, which I think just represent obedience to God, faithfulness uh, to God. Or they can use things like wood, hay, or straw, which I think is meant to represent our disobedience, our casual attitude toward building on the foundation uh, of Christ. We can build one of uh, these two ways. 
And 1 Corinthians tells us that each man's work is going to be tried. And if what he has built on top of the foundation of Christ passes the trial, then the person's going to be rewarded. But it says if what the person, he or she, has built on the foundation of Christ does not pass the trial, here's what Paul says of that person. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Both saved. One rewarded, one saved as only escaping through the flames. Obedience to God matters. Guarding our spiritual progress matters. Not losing ground, or as we used to call it, backsliding matters. How many of you are familiar with the term backsliding? Yeah, most of you. It matters that we not do that. These things are important. So we guard our spiritual progress when we begin to desire to be fully rewarded, not just be a person who escapes as through the flames. Verses 7 and 9 through 11 give us the next counsel on how to guard our spiritual progress. Look with me uh, at those. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. That was 7, now 9 through 11. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Pay special attention to these next couple of lines. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. So here's the third thing we find about guarding our spiritual progress. We guard it by staying away from false teachers. Not allowing ourselves to come under the influence of anyone who would deny the person of Christ. Anyone who would misrepresent the gospel of Christ. Anyone who would contradict the clear teachings of Scripture. As we've noted throughout this series... The problem that John specifically had in view was denying the humanity of Christ. Today, the problem is more frequently denying the deity of Christ. But I believe the principles contained within this admonition go even beyond the issues of Christ's deity and Christ's humanity. I believe it applies to a whole host of things. I believe it applies to the need to receive Christ as Savior. It applies to receiving the word of God, receiving the Bible as the word of God. I believe it applies to all of what you might call the main and plain teachings of Scripture. The things that the church throughout all of its history have agreed that these things are true and right and these things cannot be messed with. There's all this other stuff that we can fuss about and debate and have different viewpoints, but these main and plain things cannot be uh, disagreed on. They cannot be viewed a different way. Guard your spiritual progress by staying away from false teachers. Now, the history of this in, in the day that John was writing, I think, is pretty interesting. Because there were those who traveled around from place to place, church to church, who represented themselves as apostles and prophets of Jesus Christ. 
And as they went from city to city, what they would do is they would take advantage of the hospitality of the Christians in that area to find a place to stay and be cared for. Often they would try to profit materially from the hospitality uh, of the Christians in that place. And what they would do while they were there is they would infiltrate the homes they stayed in and the community of believers in that area with their false teachings. Now we have to keep this in the context of this next thing. Keep in mind that the Christian value and obligation of hospitality is, and was at that time, very important. It is strongly emphasized throughout the New Testament, and the Christians of that time, you know, living in the time of the New Testament, took this very seriously. Christians were to be hospitable to all people. They were to show hospitality to strangers. They were to show hospitality to unbelievers, and they were especially to show hospitality to fellow Christians. Now, within that context, consider again what John tells them. If anyone comes to them who does not bring the accepted and true teaching about Christ, John says, do not take them into your house or welcome them. So again, get the picture real clear. Be hospitable to strangers. Be hospitable to unbelievers. Be especially hospitable to fellow Christians. But if someone comes in the name of Christ, but their teaching is false, show them no hospitality. Don't have anything to do with them. Wow, that's not the kind of talk we like today, is it? Seems a little radical. And he goes even further, warning this. Anyone who welcomes such a person shares in his wicked work. To accommodate a false teacher, to welcome them and bring them into your company, makes one party to the wicked work of the false teacher. This is how serious false teaching is in the church. This is how dangerous it is. John says, completely stay away from someone whose message is not in alignment with the truth. And let me give you some reasons why false teachers are so incredibly dangerous. They rare, here's one, they rarely look like someone to be afraid of. They almost never look like someone to be afraid of. They are often very likable. They are winsome. They are skilled communicators. And their teachings are not usually obviously false. Their teachings are usually subtly false. They present themselves and they can seem to be agents of enlightenment. They are sneaky. They are insidious. By the way, if you're not familiar with the word insidious, which I wanted to use it, so I wanted to make sure I was using it correctly. uh, 
Here's what it means. Operating in a seemingly harmless way, but actually with grave effect. Perfect description of a false teacher. Insidious. If we care about our spiritual progress, we will stay away from false teachers. Don't allow yourself to be influenced by them. And here's something that we deal with in our day that they didn't deal with in their day. All the false teachers in the entire world are just a couple of mouse clicks away on your computer. You can find any prominent or not prominent false teacher by simply going online and looking around. And individual Christians and Bible-believing churches are harmed when Christians accept what is false by becoming secret disciples of teachers who look harmless but are not harmless. Let me give you just a few few examples of, of things you should be alert to. And if you hear these things... I would recommend you cut off listening to whoever you're listening to, okay? A teacher who tells you it is God's will for all Christians to have extravagant wealth in this life and that you can achieve extravagant material wealth if you will just have enough faith for it. And likewise, that you should never be sick or face disease if you would just have enough faith Any teacher who, they'll never use this term, but who presents Jesus, presents God as a genie in the bottle, who is here to grant all your hopes and dreams for a life of ease and comfort. We call this the prosperity gospel. And people who teach it are false teachers. False teachers. And if you're listening to a teacher like that, you need to stop. You need to stop. They are setting you up for bad stuff. You don't see it now, but they're setting you up for bad stuff. Because it's not true. But if you allow yourself to believe it's true, the first sign of trouble in your life, you're going to say, God's abandoned me or God's not there. This isn't true. They're setting you up for a huge fall. They are false teachers. A teacher who tells you the Bible is a good conversation partner. That the Bible is a source of truth, but not the inspired word of God that those less intelligent Christians say that it is. That person is a false teacher and you need to stay away from them. The teacher that tells you it doesn't matter how you live your life because grace covers all of your sins. So sin away. God doesn't care. They don't say it quite that, quite that clearly. But I'll tell you what, some of them out there are pretty close to that. They're pretty close. They're, they're a little bit more, uh, you know, wily about how they present it, but it's pretty close to that these days. Friends, God does forgive us when we sin, but the New Testament that reveals to us the grace of God is full over and over and over again with this. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And the answer every time that question is asked is this, God forbid. 
God forbid that we do that. So anyone that tells you that is a false teacher and they should not be listened to. The teacher who says that everybody in the world is going to be saved whether they respond to Christ in faith or not. Even if that person calls themselves a Christian, they are a false teacher and they should not be listened to. And so to guard your spiritual progress, stay away from false teachers. Too many churches today feeling pressured to go along, to get along, have convinced themselves that entertaining false teaching and false teachers is simply an expression of Christian love and a way to prove your fondness for diversity of viewpoints. But John says, when we do this, we share in the wickedness of such people. And so if you're entertaining such people in your home, regularly hosting them on your computer screen, inviting their false teaching into your home and allowing yourself to be influenced by it, you need to ask yourself, am I doing what John says not to do. No, we don't have a human being sitting at our kitchen table, but we've invited someone into our home to listen to what they have to say. It's worth considering. It's worth asking yourself. We live in a day when to call anything false or especially to label a teacher as a false teacher is considered belligerent, unbecoming, unnecessarily antagonistic, a little too old-fashioned, and mean-spirited. The biblical writers did not have such sensitivities. And here's why. Because they understood better than we do today that false teaching and false teachers are dangerous to people's spiritual lives, progress, and health. And so they were completely comfortable, what we find uncomfortable saying today, stay away from them. If we care about our spiritual progress and health, we will stay away from false teachers. So how do we guard our, our health? We watch out. We're alert, attentive, vigilant. We desire to be fully rewarded. We don't, we, we, we don't satisfy ourselves with a participation trophy, but we strive to be fully rewarded and we stay away from false teachers. These are ways that John tells us that we can guard our spiritual progress. Watch out that you don't lose what you have worked for. Spiritual progress is hard work. It takes effort. Yes, we are saved by grace. It is unmerited, but spiritual growth requires effort. And friends, my prayer for all of us today, for each of you, is that we would not lose what we have worked for. Don't do it. It's not worth it. So don't yield any ground to the enemy. Be diligent. Desire your reward. Stay away from false teachers. And let me add this as I close. Stay away from any influence that negatively impacts your spiritual growth. You know what's negatively impacting your growth. At least I believe most of us know what's negatively impacting us. Stay away from those things, whatever that influence is. Why don't you stand?